Chapter 8 of The Complete Works of Artemus Ward, Part 2, War, by Charles Farrar Brown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8. Things in New York. The student and connoisseur must have noticed and admired in various parts of the United States of America large yellow handbills which not only are gems of art in themselves, but they truthfully set forth the attractions of my show. A show, let me here observe, that contains many living wild animals, every one of which has got a beautiful moral. Them handbills is sculpted in New York, and I annually repair there to get some more of them. And being here, I thought I'd issue a address to the public on matters and things. Since last I meandered these streets, I have been all over the Pacific Slopes and Utah. I come back now with my virtue unimpaired, but I've got to get some new clothes. Many changes has taken place even during my short absence, and some on em is solemn to contemplate. The house in Varick Street where I used to board is being torn down. That house, which was rendered memorable by my living into it, is parsing away, parsing away. But some of the timbers will be made into canes, which will be sold to my admirers at the low price of one dollar each. Thus is changes going on continually. In the new world it is war. In the old world empires is tottering and dynasteries is crumbling. These canes is cheap at a dollar. Sammy Booth, Duane Street, sculpts my handbills, and he's artist. He studied in Rome, state of New York. I'm here to read the proof sheets of my handbills as fast as they're sculpted. You have to watch these here printers pretty close, for they're just as apt to spell a word wrong as anyhow. But I have time to look around some, and how do I find things? I return to the Atlantic States after an absence of ten months. And what state do I find the country in? Why, I don't know what state I find it in. Suffice it to say that I do not find it in the state of New Jersey. I find some things that is cheering, particularly the resolve on the part of the women of America to stop wearing furrin goods. I never meddle with my wife's things. She may wear muslin from Greenland's icy mountains and bombazine from Inji's coral strands if she wants to, but I'm glad to state that that superior woman has peeled off all her furrin clothes and jumped into fabrics of domestic manufacture. But, says some folks, if you stop important things, you stop the revenue. That's all right. We can stand it if the revenue can. On the same principle, young men should continue to get drunk on French brandy and to smoke their livers as dry as a corn cob with QB cigars, because forsooth, if they don't, it will hurt the revenue. This talk about the revenue is of the bosh boshy. One thing is tolerable certain. If we don't send gold out of the country, we shall have the consolation of knowing that it is in the country. So I say... Great credit is due the women for this patriotic move, and to tell the truth, the women generally know what they're about. Of all the blessings, they're the soothingest. If there'd never been any women, where would my children be today? 
but I hope this move will lead to other moves that are just as much needed, one of which is a general and a thorough curtailment of expenses all around. The fact is, we are getting terribly extravagant, and unless we pause in our mad career in less than two years, the goddess of liberty will be seen dodging into a pawnbroker's shop with the other gown done up in a bundle, even if she don't have to spout the gold stars on her headband. Let us take hold jointly and live and dress sensibly, like our forefathers who knowed more than we do, if they weren't quite so honest. Subtle joketh. There are other cheering signs for Meriky. We don't, for instance, lack great generals, and we certainly don't brave soldiers. But there's one thing I wish we did lack, and that is our present Congress. I venture to say that if you search the earth all over with a ten-horse-power microscope, you won't be able to find such another pack of poppycock gabblers as the present Congress of the United States of America would be able to find among their constituents. Gentlemen of the Senate and of the House, you've sat there and drawed your pay and made summer complaint speeches long enough. The country at large, including the undersigned, is disgusted with you. Why don't you show us a statesman, somebody who can make a speech that will hit the popular heart right under the great public waistcoat? Why don't you show us a statesman who can rise up to the emergency and cave in the emergency's head? Congress, you won't do. Go home, you miserable devils, go home. At a special congressional election in my district the other day, I deliberately voted for Henry Clay. I admit that Henry is dead, but inasmuch as we don't seem to have a live statesman in our National Congress, let us by all means have a first-class corpse. Them who think that a cane made from the timbers of the house I once boarded in is essential to their happiness should not delay about sending the money right on for one. My uh, reported capture by the North American savages of Utah led my wide circle of friends and creditors to think that I had bid adieu to earthly things and was an angel playing on a golden harp. Hence my rival home was unexpected. It was 11 p.m. when I reached my homestead and knocked a healthy knock on the door thereof. A nightcap thrusted itself out of the front chamber window. It was my Betsy's nightcap, and a voice said, Who is it? It is a man, I answered in a gruff voice. I don't believe it, she said. Then come down and search me, I replied. Then, resuming my natural voice, I said, it is your own A.W., Betsy, sweet lady, wake, ever of thou. Oh, she said, it's you, is it? I thought I smelt something. But the old girl was glad to see me. In the morning I found that my family were entertaining an artist from Philadelphia who was there painting some startling waterfalls and mountains, and I more in suspected he had a hankering for my oldest daughter. Mr. Skimmerhorn, father, said my daughter. Glad to see you, sir, I replied in a hospital voice. Glad to see you. He is an artist, father, said my child. Oh, uh, which is it? An artist, a painter. And glazer, I asked. Are you a painter and a glazer, sir? 
My daughter and wife was mad, but I couldn't help it. I felt in a comical mood. It is a wonder to me, sir, said the artist, considering what a widespread reputation you have, that some of our eastern managers don't secure you. It's a wonder to me, said I to my wife, that somebody don't secure him with a chain. After breakfast, I went over to town to see my old friends. The editor of the Bugle greeted me cordially and showed me the following article he'd just written about the paper on the other side of the street. We have recently put up in our office an entirely new sink of unique construction with two holes through which the soiled water may pass to the new bucket underneath. What will the hell-hounds of the advertiser say to this? We shall continue to make improvements as fast as our rapidly increasing business may warrant. Wonder whether a certain editor's wife thinks she can palm off a brass watch chain on this community for a gold one. That, says the editor, hits him where he lives. That will close him up as bad as it did when I wrote an article ridiculing his sister, who's got a cock eye. A few days after my return, I was shown a young man who says he'll be damned if he goes to the war. He was setting on a barrel and was indeed a loathsome object. Last Sunday, I heard Parson Batkins preach, and the good old man preached well, too, though his prayer was rather lengthy. The editor of the Bugle, who was with me, said that prayer would make fifteen squares, solid, non-pareil. I don't think of nothing more to write about. So, believe me, of all those endearing young charms, etc., etc., A. Ward. End of chapter 8